Hello, and welcome yet again to another fabulous episode of Unstoppable Rise, a resource that helps motivated individuals press on towards the mark of self-actualization using a combination of old school wisdom and new breed tactics to help achieve this end. My name is Sim, I'll be your host, and today we're going to be talking about winning the mental game in 2023. Last year in 2022, I published my flagship course, Cornerstone, and this was a milestone for me because it was the first big offering that I've ever had on Unstoppable Rise. And it was the first time in nearly six years that I had something of my own to call mine, and it felt really good to get out into the ether and get people taking the course. And after I released it, I knew I would need multiple ways to promote it. After all, I am in marketing and I know that the way to market things has changed and you can't just be on one platform and expect to sell things. You need to be everywhere pretty much. So I said in my mind, what's the easiest way to promote a product? Of course, you could go the paid advertisement route. You can do TikTok, YouTube, etc., etc. There's endless options for people out there. But I wanted some way to really express myself in writing because I'm a writer at heart. So I chose Twitter. Now, I'm no newbie to Twitter. I've had multiple accounts over the years, but the account I started for Unstoppable Rise, I started in 2019 just as a way to really dip my feet into the water. And I didn't really get any traction with it because on social media, you have to be consistent And at the time, I didn't have the tools and software I do now to help with that consistency. So I just did for a little bit, and then I just dropped it because I had some bigger fish to fry. But in order for me to help promote Cornerstone, I got back onto the platform in early 2022, and things had changed quite a bit. One of those changes was the addition of this Spaces feature that allows you to have essentially live podcasts with people listening on Twitter. And the following recording is going to be taken from an hour and a half long space that I did at the end of January, talking about the mental tools you need to be successful in what I call the quote-unquote mental game of life. And if you're a longtime listener of this podcast, then what I'm about to be going into in this space may not be new to you, or it might be, who knows, I don't know. But in this space, I go into the mindsets you need to win in the mental game, some tenets of the mental game, and some keys to winning in this mental game. And if you want to get your mind in a good place as we head further into the year, then you'll want to listen in. So sit back, grab a nice beverage, and enjoy this space on how to win in the mental game of life. All right. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and get started here. So I'm not going to waste any more time. Um, so let's just jump right into it. So think about today. <laughs> today is January 28th. We are at the end of January. I can't even, can't even believe that. And a month ago, you know, we were prepping for the year ahead, trying to figure out what we're going to do, thinking about what the year brings for us. And, you know, now we're here. And 
a lot of people had a lot of great intentions to burst out the gate, storm down the field and start attacking things. But, you know, as the days add up and as the weeks go on, those intentions and those resolutions start to die down quite a bit. And this is the time of year when the fire of self-improvement, the motivation to do things dies down and people forget what they started out to do in the first place. And because a lot of people think that just because they have these big ass goals, just because they have big motivation to change, just because they've decided to do this and do that and do, you know, whatever that it's going to happen. And it's not if you can't win on this mental game first. And that's what we're going to be diving into today. So <clears throat> I see some people in here that I know, but also see some people in here that I don't know so well. So uh, welcome. Thank you for joining the space. And don't hesitate to put any comments in the comment box if you have any. And for those of you who I don't know, uh, my name is Sim. And I've been doing this work of self-development for over a decade now, so like 12 years to be exact. And I've been writing and talking about these topics on my site, Unstoppable Rise, going for seven, almost eight years now. And over the years, as I started to keep doing this work and I started to dive deeper into the work and start to unravel things, it all started to come back to this one variable, this one constant, which is, in my opinion, presence of the mind. And throughout my years of writing and engaging with different individuals and everything according with that, I pretty much found one commonality that's occurred and reoccurred again and again and again. And that's basically what I call, again, the presence of what I believe to be quote-unquote mind management <laughs> or the lack of it. And it always keeps coming back to the mind. It's always circling back to this thing of the mind. And I've explored this principle over and over and over again from different angles over the past couple of years. But today, we're going to be looking at through the lens of what I call the quote-unquote mental game of life. Because let's be honest, right? Life is a mental game. And if you can't win in this mental game, you'll find it pretty hard to win at anything else. So uh, this is how I believe our time here is going to go, right? We're going to be probably running anywhere from like an hour to an hour and a half. And I'm going to try and keep this short because I know several of you guys have places to be, things to do, people to see and all that jazz. And um, I'm going to explain what the mental game is from my perspective, why it's so important, some tenets of this mental game some keys to winning in it and of course we'll have time for extended Q&A and if anything pops up in between now and then just put it in the chat and I'll address it at the end somewhere in here or where it's appropriate and finally you know don't be hesitant to share this uh, space with your folks your followers because I'm hoping that you and them can walk away from the space with immense value so you can start crushing it in 2023 and beyond and of course if you have to jump, if you have to go, it's all fine, all good. Um, this space will be recorded, so you can always come back to any place in that space where you feel you need to. So with all that being said, with all that rigmarole, let's, let's, let's begin. Let's dive into this concept of the mental game, right? 
So, like I said, you know, there's many layers to this, more than what I believe can be covered here. But I'll say it like this. Say it like this. When, when you think about life, when you think about human society, most of it is pretty much mental abstraction at some point, right? From a very basic level, just look around you, especially if you're just sitting, listening to this, like the chair you're sitting on, the car you drive, the place you live in, even the device you're listening to this on. These are all artifacts of the human mind, of the human consciousness. And of course, our society as a whole was an outcropping of the human mind, right? Because civilization is only thousands of years old, a couple thousand of years old. And it really had to be created by people who use their minds to create it. Because all of our laws, all of our regulations, social morals, and so on and so forth are really artifacts of the human mind, of the human consciousness. And woven into this overall web of society are many games. You have, like for example, you have the game of financial accumulation and you keep score in net worth. You have a man who is good with women. They say he has what? That man has that man has game, right? Playing in the realm of Alpha's politics, I'm pretty sure many of you are familiar with that. We can say that's a game as well, another game many of you are familiar with. And of course, we're here on Twitter, and this entire Twitter sphere is a game in of itself. So you see, we've created all of these games in society, and your ability to play all of these games, your ability to finesse in all of these games, is going to be dictated by your ability to understand and play on the field of the mind. So... That's where we end, of course. And <clears throat> going back to civilization, of course, we've had many cultures across the globe, many, many cultures take a look at the mind from different angles and different approaches because they realize the importance of the so-called mind management. And to illustrate this point more, here's a quote. It's a quote, right? There are two gifts which God has bestowed upon man alone and upon no other mortal creature. These two are mind and speech. And the gift of mind and speech is equivalent to that of immortality. If a man uses these two gifts rightly, he will differ in nothing from the immortals. And when he quits the body, mind and speech will be his gods. And by them, he will be brought into the troop of the gods and souls that have attained to bliss. And this was written by a person named Hermes, who is the so-called author of the Hermetica, which was a collection of texts on Egyptian and Greek philosophy, also known as quote-unquote Hellenistic philosophy. And whether you believe this or not is kind of not the point. And I don't even think Hermes was a real person, but that's also not the point. The point is in something like this, the call out of mind and speech being something which can make someone immortal. That's really the main sticking point. And is Hermes wrong? Is this passage wrong? Mm, I don't really think so. I mean, you think about all the people who've left behind great works of music, of literature, motivational speeches, movements, all of those things. All of them came from the human mind. And 
in essence, all of these people attained immortality because we're still talking about them, right? So being able to direct your mind, being able to direct your will, being able to direct your attention towards the objects that you want to put them on, that's step one of winning in this mental game. And that's what we're mainly concerned about here, sharpening the will, sharpening the mind, and using it to achieve your goals. Um, now, before we get into some keys for this, I think it's pretty important that you understand the tenets on playing on this mental sphere of life, because there's many that I've found, but the main three that you should be concerned with if you want to win in this mental game are pretty much what I'm going to go into here. So the first tenet, the first realization is that mind is really all you have, right? When you think about it on a basic level. And I don't think a lot of people know this. I don't think a lot of people think about this. And in fact, most people have never had anyone tell them this. And if this is the first time you're hearing this, this might come as across as a shock to you, but it's true. Because what else other than your mind do you truly have control over, right? You can't control the trends. You can't control the weather. You can't control economics, politics, the actions of other people. You don't even have control of your own body. You can get into an accident today and be paralyzed. And that's something you have no control over, right? But you do have control of your ability to think. And in fact, that's the main point of the book, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And if you don't know who Viktor Frankl is, I encourage you to look him up. Um, in fact, I'll post a link to the book here so you can check him out if you're so curious. Go get that. Um, but yeah, Viktor Frankl was a concentration camp survivor in three different concentration camps during the Holocaust. And during his experiences there, he pretty much came to the conclusion that if you can direct your mind, direct your will towards a sense of meaning and even purpose, then you can survive anything. And again, going back to Hermes, think about mind and speech. Your inner dialogue, your inner mental conversations will determine how much nectar, how much juice you're able to get from life. And Viktor Frankl came to that conclusion in the midst of suffering. And I'd say he's right on the money. I'd say he's right on the money, right? Um, so is this making sense, guys? Is this coming across as clear? Because obviously I just don't want to keep going on if you guys are getting this point because this point is really important to understand. Just give a thumbs up if it, if it's making sense. Yeah. Okay, cool. <clears throat> yeah. I'm going to be talking about this a bit later, but remember this tenant, remember that you own nothing in this world and the only things you have in this world are mind and speech, right? Uh, Matt, if you're familiar with Matt, uh, shout to Matt, if you listen to this recording somehow, Matt would call this mental sovereignty. And I think that's a very important point. So the second tenet of this is that you've been conditioned to use your mind in a certain way. And this is another thing that people don't understand about the mind. So you may think you have free will, but you pretty much behave in pretty predictable patterns. And this is why many people live the same days, weeks, 
months, years even, on repeat. Because, again, it's not about the goals you have. It's not about the intentions you have. It's about the programming you have. And some people may think, I haven't been programmed. I don't know what you're talking about. But on the contrary, you have been programmed. We all have been programmed, right? Each and every single one of us came into this world as a blank slate. And it's the responsibility of our caretakers to give us mental tools on how to live so that we can become and be an effective person in the world who is an asset instead of a liability. But <laughs> that's an ideal world, and we don't live in an ideal world, right? Many people came from backgrounds of trauma of various kinds. Everyone experienced trauma to a certain degree. People come from backgrounds of abuse, neglect, general dysfunction, so many, so many things, right? So many things that can happen to a young developing mind as it's growing up throughout the world. And this type of stuff is going to leave its mark, obviously, like psychologically, it's going to leave a mark because as a young individual, you don't know how to deal with things. And if you don't know how to deal with something like, let's say, abuse, it's just going to be something that's suppressed and repressed. And physically, on the physical side, your brain is very moldable and quote unquote plastic, they call it when you're younger. So it soaks up new information like a sponge. Then what it starts doing in the background is creating neural connections in the background of your awareness. And you won't even know this is happening. You won't even know this is going on. But this becomes your base layer. That becomes your foundation. That becomes your cornerstone. And this is your reference point for every other thing you experience in life. So you refer back to that background, to that socialization. And of course, the process of that is socialization, right? So then when you start operating in the world as a conscious individual, and this usually happens in your teens and adolescent periods, the problems that you didn't address growing up, um, they start popping up. And have any of you heard of the saying, wherever you go, there you are? How many, how many, how many of you guys have heard about that? Let's see who's here, who's heard about that. You heard about that, Riz? Yeah. Yeah. Well, wherever you go, there you are. That saying exists because you cannot escape your conditioning. Because at the end of the day, you can travel across the globe. You can see every country on the planet. You can move to a different city, get a new group of friends, date a ton of attractive women, make tons of money, get the latest and greatest supercar, become an influencer on social media, get the biggest house on the block and live what seems like an enviable life on the surface. And you'll experience the same problems, except they're wearing new disguises, right? And this keeps people stuck for their entire lives, to be honest. So that's the second tenet of this mental game, is that, you know, um, you've been conditioned, and you need to understand that you've been conditioned in a certain way. And because... When you start to understand this, this is how you start to take um, liberty. This is how you start to take the reins of your mind, of your own mind. So the third and final tenet of this, and then we'll get in some keys into winning in this mental game, is related to the last one. And that is the concept of the paradigm. So for me, when I learned about this many years ago, it was like a nuke went off in my brain. Like so many things started to click after I learned this. 
And I just mentioned the socialization process and how your subconscious takes all of the information you're getting in the world and starts to organize it into a pattern. And this pattern is called a paradigm and it does this for every area of your life. You have a paradigm for money, you have a paradigm for business, you have a paradigm for relationships, you have a paradigm for dating, you have a paradigm for your effectiveness as a human being, you have a paradigm for so, 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 so much more. And this can also be known as your self-image. And actually your self-image is actually part of your paradigm. So your overall worldview of all of these paradigms, everything you believe in, in different areas, this is called your meta paradigm. And this is made up of all of these very sub paradigms. So what happens over time is that your paradigms in various areas become very solid. And for some people, they become very inflexible even, which is fine, which is good if you've built them on stuff like universal principles. But let's be honest here, because <laughs> again, we do not live in an ideal world. Many people have not built their paradigms on universal principles. Many people have created entire thought structures on things that their parents told them, that their peers told them, that authority figures told them, and so on and so forth. And they haven't gone out and experienced that, right? As a child, your experience of what you can have in life is limited by default. <clears throat> and then obviously a lot of these paradigms are often not true or they're incomplete. And then when you get to a certain age in your life around like late twenties, early thirties, that's when the brain stops massively unwiring and rewiring itself and becomes that much harder to change your beliefs. And it's not impossible, but it does take a lot of conscious effort. And this is where what is known as confirmation bias comes into play, right? Confirmation bias. And confirmation bias, real quick, is when you seek out information that confirms that paradigm or you warp it to fit into that paradigm. And really, confirmation bias is a defense mechanism that's employed by the mind to prevent rewiring your brain of any sort because it takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of effort to rewire your brain. And your brain has spent years enforcing and reinforcing and supporting neural pathways that is put deep investment in very deep investment in and anyone who stopped try to stop or start a habit knows how difficult it can be at a certain point right you know how difficult it is and this is why because your brain on a certain level does not want to change itself and this is why you have to flex your will and you have to really be intentional because your paradigm is made of habits in the first place. Because if you're wrong in one area, what else are you wrong about, right? Because if you built your entire life on what is essentially a house of cards, that's a very frightening fact for a lot of people. That's why a lot of people, like for example, if they learn what they're adopted or something similar at a later age, they have what is essentially a mental breakdown because they feel their life was an entire lie, right? Not everybody, some people handle this better than others, but then you've heard of people who've gone absolutely crazy, lost all sense of meaning, of purpose, gotten to an extreme depressive episode because they built their paradigm like, oh, these two people are my biological parents. And then when you've learned that lie has been sustained over years, you're like, what else in my life is a lie, right? And this notion of the paradigm, this is why two people can see 
the exact same piece of information and have two completely different reactions to it. And they have two completely different reactions because it's how they're programmed. And more importantly, it's about how you are programmed, right? How you are programmed. So before I get into any of these keys, do we have any comments or questions? Let me check the comments if we have anything. I don't believe we do. <clears throat> yeah, guys, if you have anything, just don't be afraid to put it in the chat. I'm going to get uh, man's search for meaning here and put that in the chat. Very, very good book you guys should check out. All right, that is in here now. Um, so let us get to some keys of winning in this mental game. And I'd say that all of them have nested points within them, as in things that really make them go. And, um, oh, I put the wrong book in here. But yes to life. I don't know why I put that in there. Um, yeah, that's what we want. Man, search for meaning. That is in here now. So you guys can check that out if you want. But yeah, let's get into these keys. Let's get into these keys. And <clears throat> I've got six of them, like I said. And all of them obviously sound simple on the surface, but um, that's the point. Your life is already complex enough, and you don't need to add more stuff to it. And I pretty much guarantee you that if you're able to implement at least one of these, then you'll be a while on your way to accomplishing your goals in 2023 and beyond. So the first point, the first key to this mental game, first point is to develop self-discipline, develop self-discipline. And you're probably like, ah, oh, really, Sim? Really? You're telling me this? Something I've heard a million times before? And yes, I am telling you this because it's that big of a deal. That's why I put it first, because without self-discipline, guys, you have nothing, right? You may get lucky. You may hit the big one spontaneously, um, but you can't repeat it. And this is where you get those people who peaked in high school or college <laughs> and endlessly relive those day days because, you know, things were so nice and easy. And I remember I put a tweet out about um, somebody who said they were like an all-American, all someone who said uh, they were like the valedictorian of, of their school or something. I can't remember the exact phrasing. <laughs> and then Riz, shout out to you, Riz, you put uh, 50, 50 Cent lyrics said, 
you were the man, homie, in high school. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much what it is. A lot of people who peaked in high school or college, you know, they endlessly relived those days because things were so nice and easy. And I'll say this right now, school does not take discipline. And I know some of you guys are in school right now. You, may, you might be like, what are you talking about, dude? It takes a lot of discipline. But it's true because school is a structured environment where you are told what to do, right? Study this, read this, do this, and you'll pass the class. But as we all know, real life isn't like that because there's no big round of applause when you finish reading a book and you don't get an A for paying off your debt. You're essentially responsible for setting your own goals and providing your own motivation. And this is where self-discipline comes in. If you want to wake up early, you want to hit the gym, you want to ask out that cute girl, you want to stop eating junk food, you want to start a side project, you want to meditate deeper, you want to do anything, it's your thoughts, it's your mind. And you need to discipline your thoughts and discipline your mind before you can discipline your actions, before you can discipline your lifestyle. And this is where mind management comes into play. How are you able to corral your thoughts together to work for you instead of against you? And one way to do that, to be honest, is to sketch out a to-do list. And what this does is it keeps you organized, it keeps you locked in, it keeps you focused, and you become a servant of the to-do list. And if it's not on the to-do list, it doesn't get engaged in for that day. Unless it's a real emergency, like a true do-or-die emergency, you do not engage with it. So for this to-do list, I recommend writing this out the night before, and you can switch things around in order or even remove things, but you cannot add anything to the to-do list. Because what's going to happen is that you're going to start adding a whole bunch of stuff, and you'll find that you can't complete it, and then you just get overwhelmed. So make it simple. Make it very simple, right? Start with your priorities and then go from there. And one method that I use, that I personally use, is called the ABCDE method. And I'm not going to go into what it is here, but I will provide another link about what exactly is um, so you can get an idea of what it is. So ABCDE method, very useful for setting goals and priorities. So just put that in the chat there. You can check that out if that interests you. So... Once you master this ABCDE method and you expand it to your week, once you master it for the day, then you can expand it out to your month and who even knows your entire year, right? And this is how you set intelligent goals, guys. This is how you set the intelligent goals and you stick to them. Or this is one way to do that. Because at the end of the day, you need to understand that no one is coming, right? No one is coming to set your goals for you. No one is coming to pay your bills. No one is coming to help you fix your depression, your anxiety. No one is coming to apply for a new job for you. No one's coming to start your business for you. And lots of people don't really develop discipline because they think somehow a magical skyman is going to save them or their neighbor is going to save them or their friends are going to save them or their significant other is going to save them. Their parents are going to save them. Looking for salvation everywhere. And, at, and everyone except for yourself. And I'm not saying not to love others. I'm not saying to not help others. I'm not saying to be antisocial. All I'm saying is that if you want to start to win in this mental game of life, it's really up to you. If you want to start a business or apply for a new job, you have to do that. 
If you want to deal with a bully at work, you have to do that. If you want to get a girlfriend, you have to do that. If you want to go on vacation, you have to do that. You have to go on the site and apply for the vacation and book all the travel accommodations, right? So this it's really up to how you manage and organize your mind. And you do that through developing self-discipline and setting your own priorities, your own goals throughout time. So that's the first tenet, develop self-discipline, because without it, nothing else is going to work. So I see we've got a few new people in here. Welcome, you guys. Um, a recording of this will be available after the space. So if you miss anything and you want to have anything, check it out. Um, it's going to be on my profile after this after this space. So let's get to the second key, second point. I'd say treat yourself like a child worth caring for. And this is a pretty nuanced point, and it's probably not going to be obvious right away, but we're all children in adult bodies. At the end of the day, that's what we are, right? That consciousness, that unconditioned awareness we came into the world with as a baby is still with us. It's just been covered up by all of the conditioning. And again, many people did not have parents to provide for their needs in one or even multiple areas. So now it's up for you to be the parent to your inner child. And this is where discipline, again, comes into play. Because a child does not know the proper conduct on how to act in society. The adult does. Or <laughs> the adult should um, know how to act, act in society. As we all know, we've all met those guys who you're like, really? <laughs> you're an adult, right? But regardless... Um, it's up to the adult to discipline that child. And if you did not get discipline when you were old, when you were younger, that's not your job to discipline yourself. Because part of this is actually really loving yourself and really caring for yourself. Because at the end of the day, again, you're all you really have. Again, we live in this world with other people, but you are the only constant in your life. And your only real tools throughout this life, or even the next one, again, or mind and speech, right? Mind and speech, mind and speech. So brief example, losing weight. A lot of people, New Year's resolution, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get jacked. I'm going to get toned. I'm going to get shredded. I'm going to get fit. I'm going to get yoked. I'm going to get whatever, right? Losing weight. How would you go about doing that? Well, you could brute force your way and bully yourself into losing weight. That could work for a short period of time, like 12 weeks, getting, you know, in shape for a wedding or something like that. Just brute force your way through it. Could work. Sure. But it's not useful for long-term progress and a sustained lifestyle, which is the case with many people who want to lose weight. Right? So using this mindset of being a parent to yourself, you would discipline yourself. You would say, okay, well, here's what I will eat. Here's what I will not eat. Here's the exercises I will engage in. Here's what I will not engage in. And this becomes the new standard. This becomes the lifestyle. And you can take this a step further with marking your progress down, which creates accountability. And I'm going to shout out Rizwani again. Rizwani has a great cookbook on people who want to get healthier and get fitter. And you can get it by signing up to his email list, or I believe he may even DM you. Rizwani, I'm not sure what the... Um, the uh, specifics around it is, but if you want to put your link in the chat for this, I'm pretty sure it can benefit a lot of people in here, who, especially who want to lose weight. So all of you who want to get 
into shape, better shape, and want to eat healthier, definitely check that out after you post a link. So I definitely recommend that. Um, but yeah, again, marking our progress down and creating accountability. So <clears throat> brief story. When I was younger, my mom made me a chart for how many A's I got on tests and quizzes. And every A that I got, I would get a gold star. And if I got 10 gold stars in a row, I would get some kind of treat. Maybe it would be a new video game. Maybe it would be a literal treat like ice cream, for example. But regardless, it was an incentive to build up the habit of doing well on tests and quizzes. And of course, as I grew older, I needed less re external reinforcement. And this is how it should be for you. Because when it comes to losing weight in this example, you might need a nudge or so to get action going. But over time, it becomes a habit just like anything else, and you won't need motivation. And that's another tweet that I tweeted about yesterday. I said straight up, if you rely on motivation to do stuff, you're never going to be successful in whatever you're doing. Doesn't doesn't matter what it is, because sustained action does not come from motivation. It comes from habitual discipline. And this is why you need to institute discipline, because again, no one's coming. And this point, you need to treat yourself like a child worth caring for. So that's the second point, treat yourself like a child worth caring for. And I see that Riz has put his uh, book in here. Again, guys, check it out. Join his email list. Join Strong Body, Strong Mind. And uh, yeah, definitely recommend it. So the third point to winning at this mental game is what I call optimization rather than perfection. Now, a lot of us have been raised with the mindset of perfectionism, especially if you're a woman. So you may say, that's not really true. I'm not really a perfectionist. I don't really consider myself a perfectionist. And again, I'm not saying this is a conscious belief because this is something you've been programmed with from an early age. So let's say you did something wrong. Let's say you got yelled at by parents, by teachers, authority figures, and so on and so forth. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, this happens. Then you have the wrong belief that in order to avoid pain, I need to be perfect. I need to be buttoned up. I need to be straight laced. I need to be all these things. And this is where you start to walk on eggshells. This is where you start second guessing yourself. This is where you start trying to avoid mistakes and failure. And in your adult life, what does this show up as? It shows up as risk aversion, being very hesitant, social anxiety, and so on and so forth. So many things that come from a mindset of perfectionism. And if you're trying to achieve anything in life, this mindset is going to absolutely sink you. And why is that? Does anybody know why that is? Does anybody want to have a guess of why that is? Just put it in the chat, put it in the comments. I want to see if anybody can figure out why it does not pay to be a perfectionist. Let's see here. What do we got? Oh, nobody? Nobody's commenting why it does not pay to be a perfectionist? I'm not seeing anything coming in. Feedback is the best tool for learning by Renaissance Dude. 
Alvaro said, by the time you perfect something, it will be too late. And I love both of these comments. And I especially love the comment of feedback being the best tool for learning because it is. And I'm going to follow that up with the point of nothing works the first time, right? Nothing works the first time. Because think about it. Think about the first time you drove, your first time asking a woman out on the date, the first time you started playing a musical instrument, the first day on the job, your first kiss. Then think about the emotions associated with them. Probably bewilderment, probably confusion, probably anxiety, probably overwhelm, maybe even a tinge, a slight tinge of fear, right? But as you did them over and over and over and over again, you gained familiarity, then you gained confidence, then you gained comfort, and who knows, you may even hit mastery in something like this, right? And this is the optimization mindset. Instead of having things right on the first try, the optimization mindset says, knowing what I know now, what steps do I need to increase my skill in this area? I'll tell you the first time I started writing online, I was terrible. I was terrible. It's absolutely God awful. This was back in 2005, right? But as time went on, and as I did it more and more and more and more, I gained competence and I gained confidence. And I have a lot of people in my life who think I'm a naturally good writer. And not really. I just started early. And if you start early, you're able to get your reps in early. So that's what I did. So Anything you want to do, guys, any goals you have, anything that is worth fighting for, start now. Get your reps in. Start building that paradigm of, yes, I am someone people want to listen to online. Yes, I am someone who is in amazing shape. Yes, I am someone who accomplish goals they set their mind to, right? That's how you change your self-image. That's how you change your life. But if you never start, you will never change. So that's the third point, optimization over perfection. And does anyone have any comments about that? Because I know we're three keys in here now, or does anybody have any comments about any of the last points I went over? Let me check the comments here. Rizwani said no such thing. I'm guessing no such thing as a perfection mindset. Renaissance dude said perfection is a myth. That is true, but it is a mindset that a lot of us have been raised with at some point. Anybody have anything else they want to add before I go on? No, I'm guessing no. Okay, well, we'll keep rolling. The fourth point, the fourth key to winning in this mental game, <clears throat> I'd say is always be training. And this is another, this is yet another nuanced point that can be swept under the rug. But if you really want to kill it in whatever you're doing in life or just life in general, you always need to be training. You always need to be preparing. And many of us, I'm pretty sure almost all of us live in the first world or have access to the first world at some point. And a lot of us live in a world where you don't really have to train that much, right? We're living in the world that our ancestors fought and scraped and bled for. And we have a lot of problems, sure. Of course, we have endless problems. I mean, not a ostrich in the sand here, but 
you know, to be honest, this world we're living in, this current version of the world we're living in is a utopia. Um, got a request to speak real quick. Uh, Ryan Zamun. Ryan, um, Ryan, if you have a comment, just uh, put it in the comments here um, and we'll address it. We'll get to it, especially if it's a question. We'll either get to it around this time or later in the Q&A session. So just put in the comments. Um, but yeah, but to our ancestors, the world we're living in right now is a utopia. And the fact that I'm talking to you over a smartphone to an audience of however many people go back a thousand years ago, uh, they would call this magic. This would be called magic, <laughs> right? But regardless, regardless of all of that, we live in a world where we can just sort of chill. We can just sort of cruise, man. And if you know about the sociologist, his name is Francis Fukuyama. I'll never forget this. Back in the 90s, um, I was a little kid then, but I mean, I've read some of his works. Francis Fukuyama said, we're living in the end of history. And this was back before, you know, 9-11, before the war in Iraq, before the 21st century. I call it the 21st century in Broglio. So pretty much he thought that, and many people thought that, oh yeah, we've reached a point where prosperity is unlimited, wars are over, nothing bad is going to happen, modernity is this and that and this and that, right? But um, what's the reality? Is that the truth? Is this the end of history? Can we sort of just chill? Can we sort of just lay back? What do, what do you guys think? Put in the comments, what do you guys think about that? Thinking about that, we're at the end point in history here. Definitely curious of what anybody says. Ruben says, early reps are how prodigies are made. Then we mistake their abilities for natural talent. Sir, you get a gold star. I love that. And Renaissance dude said, every single action you do is practice. Who are you practicing to become? Where are your actions taking you? Yes, your actions are practice is predestination. And he also said, new challenges arise. Cool, cool, cool. Well, Obviously, we don't live in a world, really, where we can just sort of chill, even though we have made a lot of progress. <clears throat> and I'll say this again. So I remember when quarantine started right at the beginning of the pandemic. And it seems like it was a lifetime ago now. But a friend asked me, so what are you going to do during this time? What are you going to, what do you plan on doing? What do you plan on, um, you know, doing, doing during this isolation time? <laughs> and I told him that this would really put to the test everything that I've been doing self-development wise for the last nine years, because I started my self-improvement journey in 2011. And then obviously that was 2020 because anybody can, anybody can <laughs> read books and stomach endless information and say, that's nice. That's cool. When everything is nice, when the weather is 70 degrees and sunny, but when the world literally starts to shut down and many of the places and people you oriented your life around are inaccessible, what then? Who are you then? Right? And many people found that when you're forced to turn inward in the relative stillness and silence of quarantine type environment, there was nothing there. There was nothing there, right? They'd spent many years of their life not building up their internal mental foundation. And they spent it being invested in this, in that, 
in this person's opinion, in that person's opinion, and so on and so forth. And it literally took, again, the world shutting down for people to really turn inward and ask themselves, hmm, who am I? What do I want out of life? What do I want to do out of life? What do I want to seek out of this life, this one short life we have? And a lot of people, a lot of uh, people are now on Twitter after this whole pandemic thing. A lot of people, you know, obviously ended up quitting their jobs and starting going full time in entrepreneurship or doing some other things. And it was really a shift for a lot of people because it forced them to look inward and again, ask themselves, what do I really want? And because for a lot of people, there was no real internal introspection. And it's no surprise that a lot of people started to flip shit when lockdown dragged on longer than was expected. Because again, there was nothing there. And I remember back in April 2020, I sent a message to my email list. And I distinctly remember sending this one because I pretty much said that the habits you build during this quarantine period will come to define you in the next decade. And I didn't know how true that would be or whether it would be true at all. But I had a sneaking suspicion that it would be. And it was kind of. So I just spent a lot of that time meditating, spent a lot of time sharpening my skills, doing calisthenics pretty much keeping up the discipline that I had been building over the past couple of years. Like just because the world shuts down, the discipline remains the same. The motor remains the same. The foundation remains the same, right? So that when the world started to open up back up in August of that year, I was ready. I didn't have to get pumped. I didn't have to get motivated. I was just like, boom, life. Let's go. And this mindset of training was further solidified for me earlier in 2016 when I read the book called Peak by Anders Ericsson. I've mentioned it before. I think I mentioned it in a thread earlier this week. Um, but it's pretty much talking about the notion of deliberate practice and the intersection of deliberate practice, neural wiring, which is also known as neuroplasticity, and intentionality. Um, and I think it's a really good book for anybody who wants to, uh, get more info about skill development. And I'll also put that in the nest here. Um, very, very, I mean, like this book was probably one of my foundational books in terms of how I think about skill development. And I definitely recommend it, um, for anyone else. Um, Ryan, Ryan has a comment said training builds discipline, which makes you more resilient to any distraction for other projects. That is true. Um, good point, Ryan. And Cus, uh, I hope I'm saying your name right. Cus said, not just for children, praise for discipline, diligence, application, perseverance, rather than talent, rather than talent or intelligence, promote resilience. Yes. And you provide a link for the art of praise, encouraging resilient confidence. Fantastic. Thank you for that contribution. Um, I'm going to put the book peak in here. So again, if you guys have any um, things about that, check it out. Ruben, you've already read this book peak. Um, Ruben, I don't want to put you on the spot. But I mean, um, if you want to couple up on stage, you want if you want to share anything about it, just request to speak and I'll uh, hand you the mic. Um, if, if you don't, then definitely just put a comment saying what your favorite part about that was and why you think people should read about it. okay ruben you requested i'll let you speak my friend um
Ruben, how are you doing, sir? Ruben, you there, buddy? Hello, hello. Can you hear me? Yeah. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. How about you, my guy? I'm great. Thank you for adding to this discussion. Peak is a great book. What's your favorite part about it, if you don't mind me asking? So um, the book to me was tremendously impactful because it clears up so many of the misconceptions people have surrounding talent versus hard work. We normally point to these prodigies and say, hey, these people are clear, clear, clear examples of talent that was innately instilled in them. They were born with these gifts. And having the author go through each of these prodigies and point out that amongst all the savants, all the people who are autistic and able to do these incredible things, underpinning all of that is an insane amount of work. We only look back from a some years in the future, we look back and then say, oh, this person, because they're capable of these extremely rare things, we look back and say, oh, that person must have had talent, not knowing that, for example, the author mentioned that some of these autistic savants, if you talk to them, you would realize that every conversation they have ad infinitum is about numbers. So they develop certain skills, let's just say surrounding numbers that me and you might mistake for talent. So um, the really, really transformative nature of that book came from it busting up all of the bullshit excuses that I held about why I can or cannot do something. I left that book thinking to myself, as long as I'm willing to dedicate the insane amount of hours towards any endeavor that's meaningful to me that I'm passionate about, I could learn enough to become highly, highly competent and that was very, very transformative to me. Thank you, Ruben. Um, that is a great, that is a great, great, great ad. Uh, definitely appreciate that. Adds a lot to this discussion of deliberate practice, skill development, and of course, winning in this mental game. Because of course, if you don't believe that you're capable of developing a skill, if you don't believe that it's possible, um, why would you even do it in the first place? So reading a book like that and knowing that there's scientific evidence of that, okay, there's no, or, or another book in this vein is also Talent is Overrated. Um, that's one I read back in <clears throat> like 2012, 2011, 2012, when I first started. That's uh, what I believe to be the precursor to Peak. But um, reading books like that really unshackles a lot of self-limiting beliefs that a lot of people do have. Um, and that's why it's important to read books like that, because again, they change your paradigm and they change what you believe is possible in life. So thank you, Ruben, for adding to this discussion. Really appreciate it. Um, my and, pleasure, brother. Yeah. And, uh, hope you enjoy the space. Thank you for coming. So we're going to keep going on, on this point here. Um, the other book that really, uh, solidified this mindset of training for me, which was something that came out last year. Uh, which is Winning the Unforgiving Race to Greatness by Tim Grover. And if you don't know who Tim Grover is, <laughs> um, Tim Grover was Tim Grover is one of the greatest personal trainers of all time. Like he was a personal trainer to not only Michael Jordan, but to Kobe, D. Wade, and you know, countless other people who are high performers and countless other people who are high performers in their field. 
And that book in of itself is a masterclass on what's needed to actually succeed on the upper echelons of a craft or activity or skill. And it's one that many people, to be honest, won't be ready for. And I'd say that most people are not ready for that book. Um, and in that book, he outlines 13 different aspects of what it takes to win. Because this is a man who has seen winning up close, what it takes to win up close with people who are icons, like Michael Jordan is an icon, Kobe's an icon. Like he saw what they had to go through throughout the years of their process. So he has a very, I would definitely take his, uh, I wouldn't take his advice as gospel, but I take his advice very seriously on knowing that he knows what it takes to win. And in one of the tenets of winning, he said that winning is waged on the battlefield of the mind. And he also said that it's uncivilized. It's hard. It's messy. It's, uh, it's uninhibited. It's nasty. It's dirty. It's unapologetic. It's everything. Winning is everything, right? And he said, you have to train yourself to compete on this battleground of the mind. Because if you don't, you're going to be defeated every single time. Every single time. And another point he also said is that winning, winning itself, winning is not a marathon. Winning is an all-out breathless sprint. And while I believe life itself is a marathon, Racing towards your goals and racing towards you, what you want in life is really a sprint because, let's be honest, guys, if you want to squeeze everything you can out of life, it takes intensity, and then you dial up that intensity through training, training your mind, training your will. And he also said that Kobe Bryant was a guy who sprinted through life. And if any of you know anything at all about Kobe, then you know that Kobe was a guy through who uh, brought intensity to every endeavor. And he was called the Black Mamba for a reason, right? He's called the Black Mamba for a reason. Um, Renaissance dude said, reminds me of what Cal Newport harps on regarding deliberate practice and deep work. Yes, that is another book about skill development, about practice, deep work. But I find, obviously, it relates to the field of working. So I didn't mention it here, but... There's a whole, there's a whole um, genre of books that talk about this, and um, I could probably make a thread about that sometime. <laughs> That's a good idea for a thread. Or why don't you make that Renaissance, dude? I'm pretty sure that'll go pretty well. And then Ruben, you said you've read that too. You read some great books, man. <laughs> I try, I try and fill my mind up with the good stuff. I'm not always successful, but you know, um, it's definitely a work in progress. So appreciate that. Um, but yeah, obviously Kobe, Kobe was known as a black mama for a reason, and he definitely left his mark on the world because he was prepared to do so. So that is point number four, always be training because you need to be prepared if you want to compete and win in the mental game. So this lines up beautifully with my next point. And this next point is curate your mental and physical diets. Oh, so, 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 so important. <laughs> so, so, so important, especially the uh, mental diet. And in fact, I'd say it's so important that 
if you don't implement this, you might as well forget everything I just talked about. And if you've been listening to this and you don't implement on this, um, you've pretty much been wasting your time. I'm sorry to tell you, but it's that important. It's that important that you have to do this. And I'll also say this. Um, <laughs> so I'm an American and I know many of you are Americans as well, but also know many people on Twitter are not American. Uh, but here in America, um, we have a huge obesity crisis, right? And it's even to the point where there's rampant childhood obesity, which is crazy. And some doctors are recommending people, kids to get on drugs and do surgeries to combat obesity, which is again, crazier. And <clears throat> we've also dropped several points on overall education rankings compared to the rest of the world, especially the rest of the developed world. And this is because in my opinion, there is lack of a collective attention to our mental and physical diets. And if you live in America, just drive around on a main street and tell me what you see in terms of eating. Just drive anywhere, you know, McDonald's here, McDonald's there, KFC, Burger King, Arby's, and so on and so forth. And you have to go out of your way to seek healthy food, right? And even when you walk into a grocery store, look at the first thing you see. Boom bag of chips sitting on an end cap. We are surrounded by unhealthy food. And sure, I'm not saying eating a chip here or there or a burger once in a while will kill you. But again, let's be honest. Many people eat these by the truckload on a daily basis. How's that going to help you be more creative and dynamic? And in addition to your physical diet, like I just mentioned, you have a mental diet as well. Because just as you can consume good information that will enhance yourself. You can also consume bad information that will erode your mental state over time. And look at all the things we have around that contribute to distraction and unease, right? News, social media feeds, on tap, endless YouTube, TikTok, so on and so forth. And it's ridiculous how many things we have out there that can pull you out of a flow state. And going back to the pandemic. I was talking to a friend of mine during that time, and he was so distressed about everything that was going on, uh, the year of chaos, as they call it, 2020, <laughs> and said, yo, I saw it come up on my phone, and I went crazy, and I just blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, what, what, are you, what, are you, what are you doing? What are you doing allowing CNN access to your phone, and in essence, your mind? How is that helping you out in any way, shape, or form? And for myself, I made a conscious decision when I was in college, which was many moons ago now, to not actively watch or engage with the news. And back then, it wasn't as bad as it is now, I'll tell you that. And for those of you who are older, it's, I'm pretty sure, you can, uh, pretty sure you can say that, yeah, uh, things were a lot different when I was growing up. It wasn't as easy to get access to a lot of stuff. Like, for example, let's say you grew up in the 70s or 80s. Like, if you didn't go out and seek news like a newspaper or TV or anything about that or hear something from a friend, um, it was very possible to put yourself in, like, let's say you lived in the woods and you didn't talk to people for days. <laughs> you wouldn't hear about what's going on for, for, for days, even weeks. And, you know, it's still possible to do this. It's still possible to get yourself off the map, um, metaphorically speaking, but it's a lot harder now because of our always access, always interconnected and globalized world, right? Um, and of course, I'm not an idiot. I know what's going on. 
I know generally what's going on, but you're not going to see me sitting on a couch being programmed with a narrative because that's what the news is. And in fact, one of my favorite accounts on here is Ben Carlson. I've got to, I've got to put him, I've got to put him in uh, the chat here because Ben has been doing some uh, really fantastic work. Uh, he's been doing, putting out some really fantastic tweets. One of uh, definitely one of my favorite uh, followers here on Twitter. Um, let me see if I can find him. Um, yeah, BF Carlson. Here we go. Um, let's see. Upwards of forty percent of Americans are obese. When I last checked, Ruben, that is that is crazy. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that is on the money. Uh, Delania, uh, I hope I said your name right. Said I haven't watched the news in years. Good for you. I hope that is helping your mental state uh, in some form or fashion. Um, because it's definitely it's definitely has helped mine for sure for sure for sure, but BF Carlson follow him if you want to uh, get the intersection of what I call uh, propaganda sociology and uh, mind tactics. So, um, yeah, put him in here. Okay. Uh, yeah, because he used to write for The Atlantic, and I think he did a whole bunch of other journalistic stuff. But yeah, he pretty much said, um, said, yeah, the news is all fiction for the most part. And sure, it's real, but it's still fiction because someone has to create a story around the event for it to sell. And the news is a business, a business which had record-breaking profits in 2020. Let's, let's not forget about that. Renaissance dude said the news is a form of mental poison. Sir, you are correct. <clears throat> Alvaro said... Same as diets, overeating good stuff without doing exercise is bad. For instance, reading books without taking action. Yes, reading books without taking action is pretty much just mental masturbation. You are doing nothing. You are just consuming information. And I had a tweet this week where it said that um, information is common, but execution is rare. Right. We live in an information-based society. And in a society where information was not prevalent, of course, information is valuable. Information is rare, but we live in a society where anybody can just go on Google, go to the library, pop open something, get information. But the execution, the proper implementation of that knowledge is rare. Right? If everyone implemented everything they read in a self-help book, we wouldn't have the world we have right now. Right? And then Renaissance Dude said, when was the last time you watched the news and felt good? I can say never. I've never felt good. Um, um, but my, my parents, my parents are boomers. I'm pretty sure your parents are boomers. They watching the news and getting news is, you know, I guess their primary form of information and primary form of getting information and this and the other, but, uh, we have different philosophies on it. And <laughs> real quick, I remember, uh, many years ago, my dad, I told him, I said, I'll watch news. I'll watch that bullshit. <laughs> and, uh, he said, yeah, it's irresponsible not to do that. It's irresponsible not to watch the news. And I was like, really? You're telling me it's irresponsible? You're telling me it's irresponsible to not be programmed by a narrative, to not be, not subject my mind to people telling me what reality is? Or you're telling me that's irresponsible? Okay. <laughs> uh, I'd rather be irresponsible then. Um, and then over, over the years, he's come around. He's seen the error in his ways and he's curtailed his news consumption. My mom has curtailed her news consumption. So um, I think people are starting to wake up and realize that yeah, the news just sees you as another cog in the wheel to grease their profits. So, um, 
in addition to limiting news consumption for me, another thing which I do is to have a feed destroyer on YouTube and a trends destroyer here on Twitter. Meaning when I log into YouTube, I only see the search bar. When on when I'm on Twitter here, I only see what I want to see. I don't see the trends. I don't see the people I should follow. I don't see none of that. I just see what I'm intent on seeing. And <clears throat> because I don't have time to be influenced by social media, and you don't either, because this is your life. <laughs> you only have one life. Why are you spending it binge-watching YouTube and scrolling social media feeds? And just so you guys don't think I'm capping on here, let me, let me, let me take a screenshot of my current view on Twitter so you guys can see what I'm talking about, so you guys can see exactly what I mean. And I'm going to post that here in the comments. Um, lists are a good way to avoid trends and people you should follow. Yes, that is correct, Renaissance dude. Actually, um, another thing is I do not, um, I do not, uh, I do not really use my home screen that much. Um, I only have, obviously, I have people I follow, but I don't really look at the home screen that much. Um, so, uh. Did I post? Yeah, I posted my screenshot here of Twitter. So you guys can check that out and see what that looks like. There are no trends. There are no people I should follow. It's just, boom, profile, whatever I'm looking at. And let me go on YouTube real quick so you guys can see what I'm seeing on there. Yep, and that is my uh, view of YouTube. There are no uh, videos that I should check out. There's no suggested watching things. There's none of that. It's just my search bar, the subscriptions, and the sidebar there. So I'd recommend installing some sort of feed destroyer on Twitter on here if you're using it a lot on desktop. Installing it on YouTube, especially YouTube is a very distracting place. And if you're on Facebook, I don't have a Facebook account anymore. Um, if you're on Facebook, putting a feed destroyer there because, again, you do not have time to be influenced by social media, right? And the 21st century is a time where the individual needs to actively select what they will or will not engage in. And there will be a lot of things that you can't engage in. There will be a lot of things that you'll have to say no to. And I also remember when I was in school, I told one of my professors that the next decade is going to be the one of the self-directed person. It's going to be one where someone will have to determine how to shape their mental landscape. And I said that because I very clearly knew at that point, I, I studied digital media in school, guys, just so you know my background. I studied digital media and I've been involved in this stuff for years. So I've seen how the digital landscape has changed over time. But I knew very clearly that the world we were headed towards was one where there will be a lot of distraction, a lot of diversion, a lot of things trying to grasp at your attention. And it is now more important than, other, than, than ever, right? And for those of you guys who are Gen Z, a Gen Z brothers, I'm looking at you. You guys don't know a world without social media or instant internet access. Like, for example, I don't know a world without the telephone. Like, a world without telephone seems strange to me. And for a lot of you guys, some of you guys got your first smartphone when you were like eight or something. I got my first smartphone when I was in college. So your brain 
really is wired for a lot of digital stimulation. And that's why I propose everyone to go on a dopamine detox. And if you're into self-development, you probably know what this is. But if you don't, go onto my profile. I've got a pinned thread about it here. Or actually, I'll put it in the uh, chat here as well. Um, <clears throat> and I said, in 2023, normalize going on a dopamine detox. And I've done many dopamine detoxes. So I recommend uh, everyone do at least one period in their time where they go through this process because it's really a conscientious effort to do this dopamine detox, right? So um, in addition to dopamine detox, start reading good books. You know, start reading books like Psycho-Cybernetics, Six Pillars of Self-Esteem, Think and Grow Rich, Stoic Philosophy, the Bhagavad Gita even, things that give to you rather than take from you. And this is part of building mental discipline. This is how you start to win the mental game. And this is how you start to become a victor rather than a victim. Right? So point number five, curate your mental and physical diet. Very, very, very important. And the last key, the last key I've got in here to winning this mental game in 2023 is what I call mental transportation. Now, if you're familiar with the Middle Ages, you know that there was a philosophy called alchemy, which can also be seen as a precursor to chemistry in a sense. But alchemy is where you take one substance and transform it into another substance. And in alchemy, there was a so-called rune called the Philosopher's Stone, which supposedly turned base metals like mercury, in mercury or even lead into gold or silver. And in my opinion, this is just one of those myths in humanity, uh, Carl Jung would call it the collective unconscious, um, that if you look under the surface, that it really talks about the ability of the mind to turn metaphorical lead into gold. Because your mind is designed to take anything that is supposedly negative and turn it into a positive. Your mind is designed to take negative situations and transmute them into something that will benefit you. And this is why people who had tough situations growing up had the potential to transcend them. Again, the potential, it's not the default. You have the potential to transform it. It's not like, oh, if you're in a tough situation, doesn't mean you're going to get out. Because obviously, look how many people stay in relationships that aren't working, people stay in negative environments, whatever. You know, they do that for the rest of their lives. And it's because, in my opinion, that these people haven't come to the conclusion of using their will to transcend that. So look at someone like um, look at someone like Tupac, or someone like again Fifty Cent, or Ed Sheeran if you know his backstory, or Arnold Schwarzenegger if you know his backstory, or even Steve Jobs, right? So all of these guys, all of these men, took what was given to them and turned it into something positive. And we have some people, obviously, some friends that I know who have done the same. So I've had many quote-unquote situations in my life that I've turned to something beneficial as well. All of us have. And I'd even go so far to say that you have vastly more bad situations than good ones in your life because life is not always going to be in your favor, right? That's why you need to take whatever life gives you and learn how to do this mental alchemy. And this is what I call a negative motivation. I wrote an article on it uh, quite a while ago um, which I'll put in the comments here if you guys want some more info on what negative motivation means and how you can use it. 
um, yeah, negative motivation, how to turn setbacks into comebacks, right? Because that's what we're concerned with. That's what we're concerned with doing. Um, yeah, so using negative motivation and transforming it into something that is going to be a positive for you, you do that through your self-discipline. And that's why, again, you use the optimization mindset. <clears throat> you curate your mental and physical diets. This is why you do all of that. This is why you're concerned with doing all of this stuff. Because life will dish out its fair share of pain. And if you can't handle the pain, if you can't come to terms with it, if you can't use it, if you can't use this, you're just not going to make it. Right? You're not going to make it. So remember, mind and speech. Mind and speech. Right? So guys, to sum up a very long discussion, the mental game, being able to orient yourself mentally in life to take advantage of everything it has to offer. And why do we need to be concerned with it? Because life in and of itself is mental and how you live a fulfilling life in this very short time you have on planet, on, have on this planet is because your, your ability to play this mental game, right? And the three tenets of the mental game is mind is all you already have in life. Two, you're operating off of conditioning at all times. Three, you have a paradigm for every area of your life, which comprises your meta paradigm or your overall worldview. And of course, the six keys to winning in this mental game in 2023 and beyond is to develop self-discipline, become someone who is addicted to a routine that makes you better, Two, treat yourself like a child worth caring for because you are at the end of the day. Three, install the optimization mindset, not one of perfection. Four, always be training, always be prepared. Five, curate your mental and physical diets, eat the right stuff, consume good information. Six, practice turning negatives into positives through mental transmutation. And there you have it, guys. Six keys to winning in this mental game in 2023 and beyond. And if you want more help on installing good mental models, I wrote a book on mental models, 40 of them, actually, in the spheres of philosophy, psychology, productivity, and life progression. And the reason I wrote this is because this book is going to help you construct your own blueprint on how you want your life to look like, because you'll be drawing from a deep well of thousands and thousands of years of collected human wisdom because mental models are something that um, are developed over time and pretty much mental models can be seen as a way to shortcut action. So if you want an easy shortcut to taking action, mental models will be the best way to help you do that. Um, so I'm going to post that here in the nest as well. Can check that out. Um, I'd appreciate if you picked up a copy. It would mean a lot. Um, this was a labor of love for me. And um, yeah, check it out if you're interested. And you can always shoot me a DM um, what you think about it. So, okay, it does not look like anything else is coming in. Um, I'm going to call it. Appreciate you guys for coming in, listening. Really, really appreciate it. Again, it's my first time doing this space. And I hope that um, you're going to be able to use at least one thing in here. One thing, definitely, if you can only implement it, make sure you're eating a good diet because that's going to contribute to 
your feelings of longevity, your feelings of health and wellness. Make sure you are keeping your mental space clean as well, because that's going to determine almost anything in life. And of course, develop discipline. And if you want to, uh, I, I obviously tweet about discipline most of the time. So if you're not following me and you want more insights on discipline, uh, give me a follow and um, hopefully one of my treats will uh, give some inspiration or enlightenment for that. So I'll catch you guys at the next one. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a lovely Saturday and enjoy your day and we'll talk later. Peace guys. So that is it for the end of my first space on Twitter on how to win in the mental game in 2023 and beyond. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope to see you in the next Twitter space. And until next time, take care and remember mind and speech. Peace guys. Hey there. Thanks for checking out this podcast episode and giving me your time and attention today. It really means a lot. If you liked it, please give the show a five-star rating because it will help expose the show to more people who would benefit from hearing this message. Secondly, if you'd like to connect with me further, you can do so in one of two ways. First, you can check out www.unstoppablerise.com where I write about self-development topics with a masculine slant, or if social media is more of your jam, you can check me out at Unstop Rise on Twitter, where I post about self-development topics daily. So that's it from me. Until next time, take care of yourself, take care of other people, and peace.